Hi, this is Tom Mullahan. Welcome again um, in joining me with uh, Fuel for the Fire, uh, an ongoing discussion about, an exploration, I should say, of the things that, uh, that can feed a passionate relationship with God. Um, as we pursue Him, we uh, find that, in, that uh, in our journey that it turns out that God has been pursuing us. And, and uh, we're talking, especially today, about the wonder of who God is and why it matters. Um, there uh, um, are days when, of course, we're not feeling the, the energy of, um, of, of, uh, of our Christianity. We're not feeling the, the excitement, the enthusiasm, and so forth. We're not the first people, of course, to, to struggle with that sort of ongoing experience. There is, in fact, uh, uh, many, there are many instances in the scriptures, in the Bible, where there were people uh, like us who uh, faced different experiences, some of them very challenging, some, some of the experiences very challenging in that they were very intense, they, they were marked by persecution, suffering, uh, and so forth. Uh, and in some instances, they were marked by the, the challenge of, of the mundane, the ongoing uh, if you will, the drudgery of, of just daily life, the grind of problems and, and trying to get through the situations that we, we find ourselves in, you know, uh, trying to pay the bills and trying to deal with sickness and family matters and, and that kind of thing. And, 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 and in the long run, uh, both kinds of challenges uh, are without, uh, without God's help can be uh, very potentially dangerous uh, situations for us in our walk with God in that we can, for what, for any of these reasons, find ourselves so discouraged that we walk away, we fade away, we turn out to be like one of the souls that Jesus talked about, uh, where there is no fruit, there is no productivity, there's no, lo- no real and lasting life. Uh, as a result of uh, of this Christianity that we profess, and and truth be told, I think we can probably all recognize uh, people in our lives, and perhaps we're the people that we can recognize this in that uh, that there is a profession of Christianity, but there is not a follow through. There is there is talk of being a Christian. There is attending a church, perhaps, but life doesn't look a lot different than the life of someone who's not a Christian uh, in terms of attitudes and and lifestyle and that kind of thing. And so when we talk about the, uh, the relationship with God that, uh, that we're trying to really uh, get to when we read the Bible, when we, when we come together in, 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 in moments like this, we're really confronted with the, the desire of God for our Christi- Christianity, our Christian experience, uh, to be so meaningful, so, so powerful, so effective and, and lasting and eternal-minded, uh, that that we need to um, kind of put our anchors down, so to speak, in the things that actually make that possible. And wishful thinking is not one of those things. Uh, we can wish all we want in regard to having a meaningful Christian life and Christian experience of making a, a an impact on our society, our family even, and yet be fooling ourselves. If the things that uh, we're placing our faith in to produce what we hope is a Christian outcome are not really the things that God has in mind. And so it's very important that we actually come to the table with God, so to speak, to examine what it is that he thinks ultimately 
produces that kind of quality of Christian experience, um, a, a life of faithfulness, a life of contentedness in God, a, a life of courage and boldness, a life of genuine love and compassion for others, uh, the capacity to forgive what in our flesh feels unforgivable, and so forth. Uh, we need to have an anchor, so to speak, a, a lock on those things that God tells us are the things that make that possible. And uh, when, I, when I think about what those things might be, one of the places that, if, that my mind is drawn to, my heart is drawn to, in regard to believers who, like us, struggle with the things that I've mentioned, are people uh, in, who lived in the, city of, in the city called Colossae, and Paul wrote a letter to the people of Colossae, the, the Colossian letter. It's in the Bible. Um, and, and he starts his letter out with some personal um, greetings and so forth, uh, but he indicates kind of early on that in praying for them, one of the ways that he prays for them is that he asks that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, I, uh, as I think about those words, being filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding and so that they can walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, uh, that is fully pleasing and is bearing fruit and, and grows, it increases in knowledge of God. Um, that one of the most powerful and probably the most powerful way that we can grow in regard to our contentedness with God and our capacity to experience Him and, and to be a to be a, a meaningful uh, and fruitful member of His kingdom, so to speak, while on planet Earth, is that um, we um, we talk about, of course, who we are in Him. But for us to even understand who we are in Him, we have to know who He is. And I'll just say this, that, that the more that we are gripped with who God is, the more it means to us uh, for us to know that we are His. And so, uh, of course, Colossians in that particular uh, book of the Bible, if at some point you have the opportunity to just kind of read uh, some verses from it. I'd really uh, challenge you to read verses uh, 9, um, well, basically through 23 of chapter 1. You get some time, try, try to do that, or play it on your app, or listen to it, or something like that, uh, because they're powerful. Uh, because when Paul talks to them, and in, 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 in a sense, because the scriptures of God have been preserved for us, so that when he talks to them, he's also, by the Holy Spirit of God, he's also talking to us, think of this, that even though the words were technically written for some believers in the city of Colossae, that in God's mind and in God's economy, so to speak, that he also foresaw your receiving this from him as you read these words, as you hear these words. And so, in a sense, he's writing these words to you, that this prayer is also directed to you and to me so that we could be the uh, passionate people, the people who are on fire, if you will, for God and the things of God. Um, and so, uh, so these were written to increase our understanding of who he is. And uh, so that we can understand uh, who we are, he tells us this is who God is. Uh, you know, in chapter 1, verse, um, uh, uh, verse 15, 
uh, Paul actually directs, well, verse 14, he directs the, 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 those believers and us too, to, as we think about who God is, he directs us to look to Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus was he's telling his disciples that when you've seen the, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, and Paul, he echoes that particular statement here. He echoes that particular spiritual truth, that principle, uh, in, in pointing us, he's pointing us to look to Jesus when we want to look at God. He, he says, if you want to understand what God looks like, if you want to understand who God is, the, then what you must do, what you and I must do, is look specifically to Jesus and to the record of the Bible of Jesus, the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did, and what the scriptures tell us about who he is and what it, and why it matters uh, about uh, the, the things that he said, the things that he did. Because when we look at Jesus, we're actually also seeing God the Father. We're seeing God at large in working in the life of Jesus. And so uh, we want to look to Jesus and Here's basically why. In verse 15 of chapter 1 in Colossians, Paul says that, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You know, a lot of people complain about a God who is invisible, a God who uh, can't be seen and so forth. And God has historically answered that particular um, complaint on our part by pre- presenting himself in the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You want to look at God? You want to look at what can't be seen? Then look at God's expression of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, and he is God made visible. God revealing himself in a way that we can see. And so, of course, we, we, we have, um, in our day and age, of course, you know, all these uh, theatrical and cinematic ideas of how, uh, <laughs> with special effects in, in, in tow, of how God is going to present himself, how he's going to look, and all these supernatural beings that our, that our movies are constantly presenting to us with all the, the wow and the wonder of uh, what visual effects that they can achieve. Um, but, but God doesn't present himself in that huge theatrical kind of way, except at times of, of, uh, of, of particular moments of reckoning with his people, so to speak. But he does so, he presents himself in, in the quiet person of Jesus. Jesus, who was humbly born. He was born in a stable. He lived a quiet life. And it was just simply moving quietly. And think of how for hundreds of years prior to the arrival of Jesus' physical birth, that God, the invisible God, was still present. He was still working invisibly and quietly behind the scenes, working in individual hearts and lives, working in the world stage in circumstances that seemed unrelated, and yet knitting them together to achieve his his great plan, you know, so that when Jesus, of course, was physically born, it wasn't any, it wasn't at a random time. It was very specifically and strategically timed, you know, during the reign of the Roman Empire and, and so forth, and which I could spend a lot of time just talking about all the interesting implications of that. But just know this, that it wasn't random. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't an afterthought when Jesus was born. He, it was all planned. And, and to bring that 
moment when God arrived physically in the person of Jesus, God was invisibly working in the circumstances and details of all creation to achieve what was necessary for that to happen. And the God who did all of that is still the God who works today, working in circumstances, working in the background, working in the details of life beyond our ability to comprehend it, knitting together still today the things that you and I need to experience his love and his power and his will for our lives. So uh, so if ever though we need, and sometimes we do, the assurance, that the, the confirmation that God is in fact and indeed working and what his nature is like, because even if we assent to the idea that God is real, we still, um, without the scriptures, not, we're, we're not sure what he's like. And to give us a complete picture, of course, what of what he's like, he presents himself through Jesus. And so we look at Jesus to get an idea about the character, the nature of God, so to speak. Um, and, and we find compassion, we find grace. Uh, and of course, not only did he come to represent himself and, and present to us a physical uh, a, a picture of God, the immortal, infinite God in a way that we could as mortals um, could comprehend, he also, in the person of Jesus, did much more than that, which we'll get to in a little bit. But we want to know God. We want to experience God. We want to see God. You want to find out what God is like. You you read the, of the life of Jesus from the Bible, and you see Jesus who interacted with people like you and me in those days, in that day and time. He's 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 um, he's this. He's this God. He is a God of great compassion and mercy and faithfulness. Faithful to the end. Faithful to even the most difficult of circumstances. Whatever it, whatever it costs him to bring us to the place that uh, he wants us to be, a place of goodness, a place of blessing and love, he has undertaken. And, he, uh, for, and we know that he does this because he has done that on the cross uh, when he came to earth the first time. He came... Uh, so that he could die, he could bear uh, death in our place, a substitutionary death, so that our sin could be forgiven. Because he is perfect. He is man truly, but also a man without sin. And therefore, dying in our place could be a substitutionary death on our behalf. So he is the invisible God um, and, and made visible, so to speak. But he's, he's, he's more than that too. Um, it tells us, that he is the catalyst for all creation. Jesus is the catalyst of all creation. You know, in John chapter 1, it tells us in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In First John and Second John, it tells us about how that everything that was created was made through him. So, uh, here, here he is. He's the catalyst of all creation. And in Colossians, it says in verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And listen, and for him. And uh, so this is, this is him. This is, this is Jesus, and he is not only the expression of God, he is very much God himself. And uh, it, without Jesus, there is no creation. And we were not only created through him, we were created for him. So he maintains an interest in uh, overseeing the direction, the progress of creation, including your life. Your life matters to him. He was a creator. He was the creator of your life. He is 
the sustainer of your life. He's interested in what is happening. It says that he is the upholder of all things in that, um, but it tells us that not only were all things created through him and for him, it says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the upholder of all that is, including you and me. And so this ongoing interest that he has in your life is, 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 is a perpetual uh, passion to, to help you to become fully the man or the woman that he created you to be. So the, the problems of your life, they matter to him. The strength that is required to get through life, the wisdom that you need to make the decisions, those things are available to you as you lean on him. Why? Because he is the upholder of your life. He not only made you, he didn't walk away after making you. He didn't walk away from creation, having wound up the clock and setting it on the mantle and forgetting about it. He created it and he maintains active participation with his creation, including your life. And you may think, well, I'm too small, I'm too little, my life doesn't matter. Yes, it matters to him. He is, he is an infinite God, not only able to juggle the vastness of the universe, but also to address very intimately the most small things of his creation, the things that perhaps we wouldn't think of. You know, we, think, we don't maybe think about the birds of the air. We don't think about the, the microorganisms that, uh, that move about unseen. But, but even Jesus talked about how God attends to the needs of the, the the birds of the air even even feeding them and so if god's going to take care of them in matthew 6 he talks about that then he's of course going to care for you and care about what you're going through care about your needs care about the strength that is required for you to not only survive the day but to thrive and to grow god is god is available to you to encourage you and provide for you those things that you need today to to bear fruit the fruit of joy and peace of of uh, of moving forward, of strength, of making an impact on the world around you, not just of getting by, but of actually of of your, but also of your life making a difference, of meaning something in the long story of creation. Your life is going to have made a difference as you rely on God and trusted in Him. So He is the catalyst of all creation. He's the upholder of all that is, and it says also that He is the leader of His church. He is the head of the body, the church. In verse eighteen. And that and, and that's important to us. Sometimes we get so disgruntled with the church and, you know, we, we had a complaint or an argument or something negative happened, maybe with leadership or something like that. And we'll decide that church isn't for us. Listen, Jesus died for the church. Jesus loves his church. Church matters to Jesus. Therefore, church matters to us. It matters to you. Even if you would rather it not matter to you, it still matters to you. Uh, we call it denial when there's something true that we refuse to acknowledge or receive. Uh, it's denial. But, but even though we may deny it, the church matters to Jesus. And because it matters to Jesus, it matters to you. And you cannot, by yourself, without the context of a community of believers, of people who trust Jesus biblically, follow him, you cannot know God in his fullness and you cannot experience what all he has in store for you and in mind for you unless you're in the context of a church family in spite of their imperfections in spite of the how they fall short and and uh, maybe frustrate or aggravate you uh, still what God has for you for you to receive the fullness of that it is in the context of participating in a fellowship of believers um, 
uh, in Jesus Christ. So he's the leader of his church, and uh, sometimes some churches do forget that. Sometimes we put people in charge, or sometimes we'll put organizations and so forth in charge. But in reality, the true church uh, is led by Jesus himself, and uh, he is interested in uh, how in the health and the well-being of his church. He is passionate about his church. He's passionate about your part in his church, and he does all that is necessary necessary for his church to be purified and presented to himself it tells us in some other scriptures as a bride unblemished uh, for the groom and he being the groom so uh, so he's leader of his church it tells us that he is uh, the first um, he is the beginning he is the firstborn from the dead in verse 18 uh, that in everything he might be preeminent you know, to think that Jesus is first, that Jesus is priority, that uh, all the creation is built in such a way that Jesus has preeminence over all of it. He, it says, in fact, that he is firstborn among, um, among the, those who have uh, been resurrected from the dead. And I, I understand that to mean that, that even though other people in the Bible uh, have been raised from the dead, so to speak, all of them died again. Uh, you know, they may have been restored like Lazarus, for example. Lazarus, he was raised to life and so forth. Um, but he was raised to life as he was, still in his mortal shell. And eventually, whether it was a heart attack or a chariot accident or whatever, something happened and he lost, he died again physically. So even though spiritually he is eternal he has eternal life. Still, his body died again. But Jesus, when he rose from the dead, rose from the dead glorified, and he is, uh, a, he is the firstborn among the dead in that regard. And that is the hope to which he has called us. You know, when we talk about Jesus, one of the most amazing things about it that we can contemplate and think about is that we, as his children, have the hope of resurrection. And it isn't resurrection to old life to to just be alive again to the old problems, the old aches and pains and sorrows and so forth. It's to new life without all of that, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. We've, we've been, we are given the, the capacity to discard all that this mortal life has loaded onto us. And, and we're given a better life, an abundant life, an eternal kind of life with a, with an eternal kind of quality about it. And Jesus is the firstborn that in that, uh, and so that he may have preeminence. And uh, he's the pioneer of that. That's kind of what that means. He's leading the way in regard to that transformed life. And he takes us by the hand re- in relationship. And he leads us to experience that because of who he is. So, uh, and it, it goes on, Paul goes on. He tells us, he tells them, and he therefore tells us that, uh, in, that he holds, that Jesus holds within himself the fullness of God. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God. If I could just get my mind wrapped around that, I think I would just be, be in, a, in a coma of wonder for a year. Just in, amazed and, 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 and stupefied by just how amazing that actually is. Because the fullness of an eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God, holy and perfect in every way, is 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 condensed inside the form of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and it's an amazing thing to think that all of that exists in him and existed in him then and it exists in him now. And, uh, and that's amazing. 
And that, and finally, it tells us that Jesus uh, is the great reconciler. Through Jesus, it tells us in verse 20, that through Jesus, we are reconciled to himself. It says that, in fact, literally it says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You know, how important it is for us to have a relationship with God. You know, Christianity is meaningless unless it is, is, unless it is all about relationship with God. And there is no relationship with God without the cross of Jesus, without the shedding of his blood. And so, for him to have come to uh, make a way for us to know him in that regard, it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. It, there's fuel for the fire of my relationship with him when I contemplate how great he is and how great was his earnest pursuit of me to establish that relationship. How great is his, his pursuit of you that you have relationship with him. Now, don't fall into the trap of dis- disregarding that and thinking lightly of it. It, it, is, it is a huge thing. It's not a small thing that God has done this. It's a, an amazing thing. And it's a, it should strike you with such amazement that every day you're just in wonder again. Uh, that God has chosen to love you and has made it possible for you to know him through a, a relationship with him. And if that is the case, the most important way you can spend your time any day is to use all of life, everything at your disposal, in such a way that that it becomes a means by which you may know him better. You know, your family, God has given you a family maybe, or a job, or a situation, whatever, and he wants you to enjoy those things, but he wants you to enjoy those things and to give yourself to those things in the context of first recognizing that he is the giver of those good gifts, uh, and that 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 his giving those things to you was so that you may look beyond the gift itself and look to the giver who sent it to you. God loves you and God pursues you. And God wanting you to know what it means to be his has given you a picture, an idea, a representation in, in Jesus Christ uh, and in his Bible, uh, a picture of who he is and how great he is so that you may get you may be caught up in the wonder of being his you know you're not just anybody's you're you're not just you're not just uh, somebody's down the road whose opinion doesn't really matter something you're you're not just being tolerated and, and and so forth you're pursued by the the one whose opinion matters most and so that matters that's a big deal my hope for you is that you can really lay hold of that and experience it, accept it and believe it and walk in it and walk in the power of what it means. And that in the end, that you'll realize that the most important thing you can do today is to surrender your life to him, to surrender your will to him, to know that knowing him is a great is the greatest gift that could be given to you. And he gives it willingly and he gives it lavishly. And he wants you to know that love and he wants you to find your joy and your peace as you know him. That's where your joy and peace will be found, in knowing him and knowing his love for you. So, um, fuel for the fire is really ultimately found in the wonder of who God is and the fact that we belong to him. And uh, that's amazing. Let God encourage you and energize you with that truth, with that reality this week. And may your relationship grow. May it be the priority it needs to be, not just the working of religion, but the pursuit of relationship with God himself. Uh, 
Uh, and he's given you the means to do that through Christ. He's given you his word. He's given you the opportunity to plug in with a fellowship of believers. And most of all, he's given you in Jesus, he's also given you access to his Holy Spirit who comes and dwells within you if you're his child, if you're a believer, and so that you may walk in power and in victory in joy and in peace. So God be with you. Uh, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.